What does barbecue mean to you? It's all about family. Good food. Summertime and friends. Of nostalgia. A whole lot of tasty. Soul-filling, belly-filling goodness. All of my favorite foods. A cultural touchstone. For me, it's a tether to the people who came before me. Getting together with family and friends. Coming to you from the basement studio at Eat More Barbecue World headquarters, this is episode 228 of Canada's Barbecue Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sanderson, and I thank you for tuning in downloading and listening however you're making that happen i sure do appreciate y'all being overweight is nothing out of the ordinary for those of us in the barbecue world i personally have struggled with my weight for most if not all of my adult life and even back into my teen and adolescent years long before i discovered barbecue i've tried different diets and exercise regimens sometimes with success sometimes not but always followed by any weight loss being replaced soon after I first heard of my guest this week a while back when he appeared on the Gravy Podcast talking about his own struggles with weight and the memoir he had published about his journey. Tommy mentioned something that was new to me, his relationship with food. It really got me thinking about my own relationship with food and how it has contributed to my weight issues. Prior to reaching out to him to invite him onto the podcast, I listened to the audiobook version of the memoir, and as I mentioned in our conversation, I found myself laughing and crying at times. Well, he took his readers along on the journey of a year in his efforts to finally lose the weight for good. Writer and podcaster Tommy Tomlinson is my guest this week, joining me from Charlotte, North Carolina. The book is The Elephant in the Room, One Fat Man's Quest to Get Smaller in a Growing America. I hope you enjoy it. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the Motley Q 2022 Competition Bounty Program. For the last couple of years, Motley Q's amazing products have been winning awards in multiple sauce and seasoning contests, like the best sauce on the planet. Competition barbecue cooks have also been receiving calls using Motley Q products at competitions all over the world, so this year Big Joe and Jess are looking to add to the winning. In 2022, when you use Motley Q products and win a category or a GC, you'll get some extra jangle in your pockets. It's as simple as this. Use Motley Q products in a sanctioned competition and take some pictures or video as proof. When you win a category or a GC, email Motley Q the proof and they will send you $250 as a bonus for continuing the winning. They will most likely do a post about your win, but will not share any pictures or video you don't want out there. Your secrets are safe with them. Visit MotleyQ.ca, that's M-O-T-L-E-Y-Q-U-E dot C-A, and click on the Barbecue Bounty Program tab at the top of the screen to get all the details. I first learned of my guest this week a couple of years ago when I heard him on an episode of the Southern Foodways Alliance podcast, Gravy. There was just something about him and his storytelling that intrigued me, so I began listening to his own podcast called Southbound. And I recently recently listened to the audiobook version of his memoir, The Elephant in the Room. I'm really excited to have writer and podcaster Tommy Tomlinson as my guest this week. Tommy, welcome to Canada's Barbecue Podcast. How are you? All right. I didn't know that there was a Canada barbecue podcast, but I am <laughs> so glad to be part of one. This well, is this is a big deal for me. Well, I'm going to appreciate you doing this. I figured uh, I'm four years, uh, 200 plus episodes in. I'm the only weekly barbecue podcast uh, still going over that time period. So I figure I can call myself Canada's barbecue podcast. So this is the one to be on that. A, a, I'm a, a self-bestowed title. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. A uh, question I ask everybody right off the top, Tommy is, uh, and curious to, with your answer, given your geography, what does barbecue mean to you? Wow. That's a, that's a great question to start with. Mm. Um, I live in North Carolina now. Mm. I grew up in Georgia. 
but I live in North Carolina, which is a divided barbecue state. Yes. <laughs> so I live in the western half of the state in okay. Charlotte, where barbecue sauce is tomato based, mm-hmm. um, and what I think cl- pretty close to what people would think of as the barbecue sauce you would, you know, get off the shelf at the store. Mm-hmm. Um, although ours is much better. Um, but that's the western half. The eastern half of the state is very different. It's um, whole hog barbecue, mm-hmm. and it's um, the sauce is generally just vinegar yeah. with pepper flakes. Right. And so the eastern style versus western style is a constant debate in North Carolina among mm-hmm. people who live here, which is better. Which I'm pretty ecumenical about it. I love them both. Yeah. Um, and then in South Carolina, there's also the mustard-based mustard, barbecue yeah. sauce, which is uh, – very different and also very good. I, I love them all. Yep. If I, on my deathbed I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the uh, Western style North Carolina sauce, kind of where I live. But right. I'm within an hour's drive of two or three of, play, of the places that are considered the best barbecue places in America. Yeah. So I, I feel very blessed. Yes. To to be part of this uh, this region. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a friend of mine, and uh, he's a sponsor of the show, uh, Peter, with Pitt County Barbecue uh, up here, and he's in Edmonton. Uh, he does whole hog catering in uh, Pitt County. I'm, you're probably familiar as... Uh, North. Sure, that's 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 uh, that's Eastern style, I think. Yeah, and, Sky, uh, Skylight Inn. Skylight Inn, yeah, the famous Skylight Inn with yeah. the the thing I remember about Skylight the most is the the cutting board. Mm-hmm. The guy has they have chopped barbecue on that cutting board for decades, decades yeah. and it's got like a big, you know, concave spot in it where yeah. they've basically chopped away little pieces <laughs> of cutting board over and over. Yeah. Over over dozens of years and thousands of uh, yeah. hogs have come through there. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. So, anyways, Peter was uh, just down in North Carolina recently and had the opportunity to spend a night working uh, the, the pits at Skylight. So, was well, that? and as you know, that's <clears throat> that's sort of the the difference I think between really good barbecue and just okay barbecue is it's the time and the effort, you know, you have to stoke the fire all night long. You have to, to use wood. You have to, you know, pay attention to it. It's obviously a a low and slow process. Mm -hmm. And, and that whole, all of that, um, requires manual labor that not as many people are willing to do anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before we get into the podcast and the book, a little background on yourself, uh, Born in Georgia, living in North Carolina now. Kind of give us the uh, the quick uh, abridged version. Sure. Um, so I grew up on the coast of Georgia, a, a place called St. Simons Island, mm-hmm. which is south of Savannah, Georgia. Um, grew up in a kind of blue-collar family. My mom and dad worked at a seafood packing plant. Um, went to I went to University of Georgia, and... Um, where I was a big football fan there, still yeah, am. Got the, 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 got the hat on. The Bulldogs, yeah. uh, defending national champions. I oh, just nice. wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> and But I always um, loved reading, and I was always just curious about how the world worked. Mm-hmm. And that led to newspapers. So I worked, excuse me, in newspapers for uh, almost 30 years, uh, mostly as a at the Charlotte Observer here mm-hmm. in Charlotte. And then over the last 10 years, I've written a lot for magazines. Um, I've written a book that you mentioned, my memoir called The Elephant in the Room, uh, One Fat Man's Quest to Get Smaller in a Growing America. And then um, over the last five years or so, I've also 
done this podcast called Southbound, which is just interviews with interesting people from the South, people who who the South influences in one way or another. So I've kind of covered the media landscape yeah, no doubt. over 30 some years in this business. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into the podcast then. Uh, Southbound, it's called, uh, produced with, uh, in partnership with WFAE Charlotte, which is part of NPR, right. NPR, right? Is that? That's right. It's the NPR station here in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, we just wanted to do interesting, just have interesting people on the air. Mm-hmm. And so on Southbound, we have, you know, uh, chefs. Certainly we have writers. We have clergy we have activists we have politicians uh, uh sports figures mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of everybody and and sort of the basic idea is how does the south influence who those people are and what they do mm-hmm. and so we talk a lot about the history of the south what the south is like now um all those sorts of things and just sort of there was um there's a musician named patterson hood who's with a band called the Drive-By Truckers out of Alabama, um, that talked about the duality of the Southern thing, which is the the pride that so many people have in the South while still acknowledging the horrors and the things that we've done wrong over the years. Mm-hmm. And so to, to try to balance that, to get the yin and yang of that, and to, to try to figure out how to live like that in the South in the 21st century um, is kind of what the podcast is yeah. about. Yeah, it's I, I really enjoy it. Uh, just uh, obviously, with, with my interest in barbecue, kind of comes a bit of an interest in the South, and uh, sure, n- not not a region, unfortunately, that I've been able to spend any amount of time in, other than Texas, which for whatever reason, I guess, isn't considered the South. Um, it, I, you know, it's on the. It, it's actually funny you say that because when we talked about who gets to be on this podcast at the mm-hmm. beginning, so the Census Bureau considers Texas and Oklahoma to be part of the South. Okay. Um, I consider Texas and Oklahoma to be sort of their own thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like part South, part West, part Plains. It's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. But I think we've had a couple of Texans on here. Yeah. And then for the purposes of our podcast, I consider it yeah. to be part of the South. Yeah. And, and gives you a little more scope, right? It does, yes. <laughs> uh, talk about some of your the notable guests. I know when you and I were emailing over the last couple of weeks, I... Uh, I mentioned to you that I had just listened to the episode with Sean Dietrich, uh, another writer, uh, and just uh, and maybe it's uh, obviously you've a career in journalism, so that translates over for you. Just sure. your, your interview style, you're able to kind of bring these stories uh, out of people. I, I really appreciate that. So, well, it's you know part of I think uh, doing interviews and not you know done thousands and thousands mm-hmm. in my life now is. Um, being a good listener, you know, to hear what people say, you know, I have questions prepared for the interview, but I also just really try to pay attention to what people are saying. And then if they say something interesting that takes the interview in another direction, um, I go that way. And so, so over the years, I've, I've done, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I've done probably a hundred and something episodes of this podcast now. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the guests that I think of, um, that I really enjoyed having on were Dale Earnhardt Jr., the NASCAR driver, yeah. who really has an interesting background as the son of Dale Earnhardt, the sort of the legendary driver, and and how Jr. tried to live up to that that legacy. Uh, Vivian Howard, who some of y'all may know, she has a show on public 
TV down here called the Chef's Life. Okay, uh, she runs a couple of restaurants in Eastern North Carolina. It's become sort of nationally famous through her TV show and her cookbooks and that right. sort of thing. And she's she was someone who went to New York as a young woman and tried to make her way in the restaurant business, and then eventually decided that her place was back home mm-hmm. in small town North Carolina, and she sort of built an an empire from there. Um, I had lots of good musicians, Ben Folds, a uh, great piano player from North Carolina and pop musician on there. So lots, lots of different people from a, a wide spectrum of, of professions and philosophy. Yeah. No, and that's something I've noticed. Yeah. And you mentioned it, just the sports, politics, music, uh, athletes, entertainment, just a wide, uh, wide variety. And you, you just touched on it with Vivian Howard there. There seems to be something about the South that draws people back in, right? There is, and this has been a recurring theme on this podcast. People who have, who grew up in the South and left for one reason or another, um, and may or may not want to come back full time, but there's a, a gravity that mm-hmm. pulls them back when they keep, they want to come home. I was yeah. talking a couple of episodes ago, there was an author named Casey Parks, mm-hmm. who's, uh, grew up, uh, gay in rural Louisiana. Right, yeah. She now lives in Portland, which is a very gay-friendly city, and um, and she loves it there. Mm-hmm. But Louisiana still pulls her back home, and she still, despite the fact that some parts of Louisiana are certainly not gay-friendly in the mm-hmm. way that Portland is, um, she misses the people. She misses the sound of the accents. She misses the weather. You know, she misses the friendliness. Um, all the. <clears throat> excuse me all those things that are hard to replicate in other places and the yeah. south has an abundance um that's something that that is difficult to get away from mm-hmm. even if you know that the facts on the ground are sometimes hard to deal with yep yeah it's uh yeah an interesting uh juxtaposition maybe is there uh, the word i don't know but just that yeah con- it is juxtaposition. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we live with contradiction down here. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who lives in the South and is a thinking person has to deal with the contradictions of this place every day. Yeah, and I, I like that you kind of bring bring those out to the to the forefront with the with the podcast, and uh, where a lot of people I think would just like to to bury that and not talk about it. You're uh, you're getting it out there, so. Uh, yeah, also, thank you. Um, uh, one of the guests, I want to thank you, uh, Adia Victoria. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her first name properly. You but, are, yeah. Uh, downloaded her album after hearing her on the podcast and uh, really enjoyed the music. So uh, thanks, yeah, for, great, thanks for bringing that to of, me. So. Great sort of new blues singer. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, out of South Carolina. She's, yeah, it's almost something, she's wonderful. Almost something haunting uh, to her voice. That, uh, yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh the book we'll get into that a uh, couple of things uh you, you talk in you talked about barbecue a little before kind of what's your your barbecue background growing up what was what was barbecue for you uh um well it was you know we did not my family was not a um we didn't like cook hogs or anything like mm-hmm. that um my family we were uh, well, i grew up on the coast and we were more of a Seafood and yeah. fish family, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you talk um, about, we had about barbecue. catfish. And, uh, yeah, catfish yeah. and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. When we had barbecue, it was usually from two or three little roadside places mm-hmm. where I grew up that were known for having uh, really good barbecue. 
but I didn't I honestly didn't think much about it until I got off to college. Uh, Athens, Georgia, had a couple of really great barbecue places, and um, so I, I kind of started to understand that there were regional differences that different people cook different meats and called it barbecue and they did different things with it. And so as I got older, I started to explore those things when I traveled and, and things like that, I would find places that had different kinds of barbecue and, and, and try those out. So my, you know, Georgia barbecue is pretty tomato based in general, Mm -hmm. um, kind of a thicker sauce than, than they have in North Carolina. Right. You know, um, and and so it took a while for me to sort of explore and find these other sauces, um, and also to to explore things outside pork. Like right. I didn't know for a long time that <laughs> that brisket was a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had and then we had barbecue chicken. I guess that was something that we would often have at like uh, family cookouts and stuff, where you just basically throwing a leg quarter on the grill and and slathering it with barbecue sauce. There was yeah. nothing fancy about it. Yeah. Um, but certainly moving to the Carolinas, uh, I've had my palate expanded in many ways. There are a lot of people here who think very deeply about barbecue and mm-hmm. yes. what it means and, and all that sort of thing. So that's been the bulk of my background in barbecue has been from from being here. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you talk about the, the pork thing and uh, – uh, the, the places like Skylight Inn that we talked about there, uh, you know, you just order a plate of barbecue and it, it's pork. Right. Yeah. And and in fact, if you don't go, you know, depending on where you live, that's just what barbecue is, right? So if you grew up in around Eastern North Carolina and you go to the Skylight Inn and that's your place, yeah. you may not even know there's another kind of barbecue. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and much less that there are many, many kinds with many different sauces and 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 ways that they're made and yeah. and that sort of thing. It's just that's what that's what barbecue is, yeah. is what you grew up with. Yeah. And it it takes a while to sort of get beyond that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh something you you mentioned in the book that I uh I can relate to is uh the the love of professional wrestling. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit of a closet wrestling it. fan here. So I'm... Well, you know, come on out, man. Be with us. <laughs> We're uh you know, I, I, I'm of the feeling there are no guilty pleasures. There's just pleasures. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, so my dad was a huge wrestling fan. And uh, we, I grew up watching it. We, there were two shows on Saturdays that we watched pretty religiously. Um, this was the old National Wrestling Alliance. Ric Flair, Dusty yeah. Rhodes, those guys. I don't know if um, yeah, those guys were around. But then also when I got a little older and and started watching the what's now the WWE and there were all these great Canadian wrestlers, of course, you know, like Bret Hart, Chris Jericho, people like that. So I've, I've gotten steeped in Canadian wrestling lore a little bit as well. And so, so I, you know, I think part of it for me is it's storytelling. So I, you know, grew up a storyteller and a really well thought out and played out wrestling story can have some really high drama and tragedy and it's sort of Shakespearean in a way, except the actors are also the stuntmen at the yeah. same time. Yeah, you know, and so, um, so I think a lot of people do look down on, it. and certainly a lot of wrestling is hokey and trashy and Absolutely. that sort of thing. But it's like any other sort of artistic endeavor when it's done really well, mm-hmm. it could be really moving. Yeah, no, I've uh, I've joked that it's uh, you know soap opera for guys, right? So, oh, absolutely, yeah, sure. I, I, Monday night, I, I turn my stories on, and 
No, and uh, actually, uh, with the podcast, uh, however many years back when I first started listening to podcasts, before I even thought about doing my own, uh, Steve Austin's podcast was probably the first one I subscribed to and started listening to regularly. So, and the, right, he's very good at it. Yeah, he's, a, he's good with. He has great questions. He has yep. gets good conversations going. Yeah. So and then I then I realized the the world of barbecue podcasts, and uh, here we are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, the book, uh, let's get into that. I wanted to spend some time chatting about that because it's uh, something I really related to. Uh, the Elephant in the Room, One Fat Man's Quest to Get Smaller in a Growing America. It was kind of the story of your journey over over the course of a year uh, with your relationship with food and weight loss and all the rest of it. So kind of talk, uh, give folks a bit of an idea of what what brought it on and uh, what it's all about. Sure. So I've always been uh, overweight from the time I was a little kid and all through school and up through my adult life. And um, uh, there were a couple of turning points for me. One was the death of my sister. Mm -hmm. She died on Christmas Eve, uh, 2014 um, from weight related illnesses. And um, it really struck me up short to see, to be at her funeral and to look around and know that if my life kept going in the direction it was going, that they would, people would soon be coming to mind at the, at my peak weight, I was 460 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and it limited and limits my life in in many, many ways. Um, and you know, I, I, I think I'd navigate life differently than most people because of it. Mm -hmm. As I detail in the, in the book, you know, whenever I go somewhere new, I'm scout, try to scout it out in advance to see is there going to be somewhere comfortable for me to sit? Am I going to have to stand for a long time? If so, you know, how am I going to deal with that? All those sorts of things that I think most people don't even think about or deal with as they go through their lives. And so this book is about me finally starting to come to grips with um, the size I was at and, and how to try to turn things around. And, and more importantly, why I got so big in the first place, you know, um, this is not really a diet book. Um, I, as I say in the book, if you have 20 pounds to lose, you could pick up pretty much any diet book off the shelf at the bookstore mm -hmm. and figure out how to lose 20 pounds. If you have to lose 200 pounds, um, the first thing you have to do is figure out why you got that way in the first place. Yeah. And so this book beyond just trying to figure out how I'm going to get smaller is to figure out how I got that big to start mm -hmm. with. Yeah. No, and that's something I've been able to relate to, you know, being a, a bigger guy myself. Uh, um, yeah. A lot of things in there, uh, the, the relationship with food that you, you talk about and that's uh, uh, it, something that's been in my head and it's something, you know, you've, kind of inspired me almost, I guess you could say, to kind of really look at that and think deeply about, you know, my own relationship with food and uh, and all the rest of it. So uh, yeah. thank you for uh, a, a poke, I guess, on that end. And uh, well, the, well, you're welcome. And, you know, just thinking about barbecues, since that's yeah, our, yeah. our topic today, yeah. you know, um, part of the, the problem with being addicted to anything is that it's the the thing itself is so delicious yeah. you know i mean a good a good barbecue sandwich or a good mm -hmm. slice of brisket or whatever 
however you prefer mm-hmm. barbecue to be served to you or whatever. Yeah, it's amazingly good, and mm-hmm. it turns on all these sw- pleasure switches yep. in your brain. Yep. You feel great, and food is is sort of the last acceptable vice. Mm-hmm. You know, people. You, you go to a restaurant and the, and the portions are bigger yep. and everybody's having a good time and that sort of thing. And so it's all, there are all these positive um, associations yeah, with a big meal. Um, but then there's the the hangover, I guess, yeah. of having eaten 2,500 calories yeah. or whatever it is. If yeah. you're, if you're putting down enough barbecue and sides and yeah. stuff um, and, and how do you deal with that? Yeah. And so, um, I'm one of those people with food that it's hard for me to be moderate. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm diving in, I'm going all the way in. Yeah. And so that's that's been a hard thing for me to deal with uh, in my life. Is that I don't, I'm not that way about anything else. Yeah. But food is the one thing that I binge and indulge in and, and mm-hmm. go overboard on. And and because there, in my mind, and 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 my brain is taught me there's so much pleasure associated with yeah. it. Yeah. No, I'm certain. Uh, you know, and that that question I asked at the beginning, uh, what does barbecue mean to you? And uh, well, every, yeah, that, everyone a, has a very different type of answer. You you went very literal about the types of barbecue, the food itself. Uh, very often, I get answers about community, family, gathering. Uh, yes, I, and I think that's part of it too. Yeah. I mean, I I have a, a friend who's a long time caterer who specials in specializes in whole hogs and I've spent, you know, overnights with him, you know, stoking the fires and sitting around and just, you know, shooting the breeze and talking and, and passing around a a flask or something like that. And those are wonderful nights. Those are memorable nights. You know, those are things to, to take with you, even if the, uh, even forgetting what the food was like, just that experience of being with somebody in a, a whole hog, you know, yep. a pig picking or something like that is, you're right. It's like this big community event and people yep. get together and they, they have fellowship and people are happy and all those things associated. And, and that food is at the center of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right that there is also a big part of that. That's about uh, fellowship mm-hmm. and family and friendship and all those things. And those associations are there too. Yeah, it, it just it feeds into that uh, those pleasure centers like you talk about, right? So, absolutely. Yeah, certainly one of my uh, my vices uh, when it comes to food is uh, I don't think you've got them so much down south there. Tim Hortons, uh, it's a coffee I've, shop. I've been to okay, I've been to so a Tim Hortons you, or two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have um, down here. It's Krispy Kremes Krispy, or yeah. uh, or or Dunkin' Donuts has made a pretty good inroads into the, yeah. into the south as well. But yeah. Those sort of donut coffee shops and yeah. that sort of thing. So, you know. uh, yeah, those are. Uh, the, I I've been on the road quite a bit mm-hmm. for a, a project I'm working on now, and I've been up in the upper Midwest and stuff. And so I've yeah. I've stopped at Tim Hortons yep. once or twice and grabbed a donut and a cup of coffee, and it's excellent. Yeah, they've got they do the uh, they do a, an iced cappuccino. It's almost like a, I call it a coffee Slurpee. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do enjoy that. But that's uh, good, huh? Yeah, yeah I hear that, you. that first sip of that and a bite of a sour cream glazed donut, and you, you talk about the pleasure centers. It's hitting them, man, for me. So yeah. that's, uh, that's my uh, my goal right now is to not stop at Tim's in the morning. That's uh, right. And there, and the thing is, a, a place like that, they're they're everywhere you turn. Yeah. You know, I spent a year in Boston, and Dunkin' Donuts was. It felt like there was one on every block. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and so it's, it's almost impossible not to go in there during the day and stuff. And so there's, you know, with the advent of so much fast food Mm -hmm. that is so easily available and relatively cheap, um, it's just so easy to live your day. And I lived a lot of days like this where every meal and every snack is at some fast food joint. And that food by and large is meant to be really bad for you and really addictive, making you want to come back. I mean, they, these, these companies have spent billions of dollars on research to make you not only eat that donut, but to come back for the next one. And so it's, there's no, no, it's no wonder mm-hmm. we keep going back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging. After a quick word from one of the show sponsors, Tommy Tomlinson, and I get into the book a bit more, including what I refer to as his brutal honesty. But first, this portion of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Township 27. Township 27 develops, produces, distributes, and sells the highest quality pantry spices, herbs, spice blends, sauces, salad dressings, and condiments for people who love food. All of their products are produced by hand in small batches using only the highest quality ingredients to maintain the full flavor and freshness that their customers have come to expect. Township 27 has searched the globe looking for the finest ingredients to go into their products, and they are excited to share the bounty with you. All Township 27 products are gluten-free, cholesterol-free, MSG-free, and are pure, with no added fillers or preservatives. Township 27 is proudly Alberta-owned and produce all of their products locally right in Rocky View County, Alberta. If you're looking for the best in spices, blends, sauces, and condiments, whether it be retail, wholesale, or bulk, check them out at www.township27.com and follow them on Instagram and Facebook. And I, again, I listened to the audio version of the book, which is you narrated, which I think added to it. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, and, the note I wrote down is brutal honesty. Sometimes uh, you you, well, you don't hold back. Uh, there were times I I laughed out loud listening. There were times I I cried. Uh, well, thank you. I, yeah. I I hope I hope you laughed at the funny parts and cried at the sad parts <laughs> yeah. instead of the other way around. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I've read before I started doing this. I'd read a lot of memoirs and biographies, and I'm you know I do this. I write for a living. Mm-hmm. And I read so many memoirs that I thought were not particularly engaging or helpful because the author held back. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there were things that they weren't telling me, big parts of their lives that were missing from these books. And obviously, it's every author's choice on how to do that. Mm -hmm. But I thought if I was going to do it, if I was going to commit to spending however many years of my life it took to write this thing, um, I was not going to hold back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to tell the truth about what it's really like to be overweight, not just personally, like trying to deal with it, you know, in looking in the mirror at night, but as part of a society where all these things we just talked about, where so much food is so available and it's so easy to get. And uh, there's a whole commercial industry that's dedicated to it. And, Many of us grow up in lives where that's the easiest, simplest way to eat every day. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to go halfway on it. I wanted you to be there with me as I woke up in the morning and looked at my body in the mirror and to be inside my head as I was thinking through all these things. Cause I thought 
the the purpose of writing this kind of book is not just for me to get all this out. It's not like a diary. It's for somebody else who's dealing with this kind of stuff to try to make some sense of their own lives. And I felt like if I held back and telling my story, then other people might be able to evade seeing themselves clearly mm-hmm. in my story. <clears throat> and so that's why I decided I was going to, you know, push as far as I could. Yeah. No, uh, the way you built the book chapter by chapter was each chapter was a month in the year. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, you, you, you went through what the month, what happened to you and your family that month. And then kind of an update on the weight loss uh, at the end of each uh, chapter. I thought that was great. Uh, talk about the crying part. Um, I was actually out walking our dog the chapter about your dog Fred uh, passing. It was uh, and it was kind of unfair to throw a, a dead dog in the middle of all that. I understand. <laughs> it was, uh, um, yeah. We had, during the time that that I was uh, the span of time that it was covered in this mm-hmm. book, our old uh, yellow lab mix Fred yeah. um, passed away after fourteen and a half very good years of life, and so that was a, a layer on top of all that. Yeah. And part of you know. Part of what I want to get across in this book is that many of us deal with grief through food. Mm-hmm. You know, some uh, if a person dies, a relative dies, or something like that, what does everybody do? They bring food to your house. Yes, yeah. And and so that's associated with the grief. That's a way that you get past the grief is you sort of eat, eat your way out of it, yeah. you know. But at the same time, food is associated with pleasure too. You have a birthday and somebody makes you a cake. Mm-hmm. And so you get kind of caught on both ends there. It's a way to celebrate the good things in life. It's a way to try to soften the blow when the bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And if you're a person like me, who tends to overeat, you're, you're sort of caught on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, again, just the roller coaster of emotions uh, as following your year. Uh, it was interesting to, uh, and to hear it in your voice in the audiobook, it was uh, it was great. So thank you again for that. So, um, oh, my pleasure. You in the book you talk about, and you you touched on it there. You know, if someone's got twenty pounds to lose, there's uh, go to the bookstore and take your pick of fad diets, uh, different programs, right? But you kind of went away from that, and uh, you had your own kind of three stage or three step program. Very distilled it down to very the simplest, uh, right? So. Yes, you know, I think these, and this is not just me saying this, this is years and years of scientific studies and that sort of thing. Um, these diets are all, the diets you, you know, buy at the bookstore or see on TV or whatever, they all work really well in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a little bit to lose, if you have a short span of time to deal with, but almost none of them are sustainable in the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just eat, you know, for the Atkins diet, for example, you can't just eat like bacon or whatever for two years. You know, you can't, yeah. that kind of stuff is just not sustainable physically or psychologically. Yeah. And so these diets that tend to, you know, cause a great deal of weight loss, successful weight loss at the beginning, in the end, they often make things worse as people regress and then they gain back all the weight they've lost and then some. And then some, yeah. So, I set out to think about, you know, what's, and and part of the allure of it is that you lose that weight fast, right? You see results right away. 
Well, I try to think about it in terms of what's a, like barbecue in a sense, what's a low and slow way of doing this that is sustainable over time and is something I can live with. Mm -hmm. And what I came to was basically kind of what Weight Watchers does, except I just didn't do Weight Watchers. It's just a matter of finding some way to measure how many calories you burn every day, finding some way to measure how many calories you eat every day, and just making sure you burn more than you eat. Yeah. And that is, um, I accomplish this through the Fitbit app. Yep. Um, you can do this without an app. You can, there's lots of books and pamphlets and stuff mm-hmm. available. Yep. There are lots of other ways of doing it, but it's a very simple measurement. And what I had to come to terms with was that as long as I was making slow and steady progress, that was okay. Yeah. Because that was kind of the only way that's ever been proven to work. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of how I've approached it. Yeah. No, and you know, that's similar in my mind. I didn't get this big overnight. Right. I'm not gonna it's not reasonable to expect to get lose that weight overnight either. So that's exactly right. It took me, you know, fifty some years of my life to get this big. I'm not gonna it's not gonna you know, I don't have 50 some years to like right, yeah. go the other direction, but, but certainly it's not, I can't do it in 50 days either. Yeah, exactly. It's just a, it's a long, slow process. And, and I, I will tell you that even if you don't lose a lot of weight right away and you, you won't do it this way, I felt so much better immediately. Like I slept better. Yeah. I, you know, um, breathed better, you know, I had more energy during the day all those things that are sort of like my pulse rate went down immediately. My blood pressure went down immediately. I think your body sort of rewards the effort, you know, just if you, if it's, if it can see that you're trying, it sort of says, well, you know, keep doing this and it's going to get better. And so, um, so the, the health benefits, um, even, even, if the weight loss is slow, the health benefits for me anyway mm-hmm. showed up almost immediately. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't take long for uh, you to start noticing changes, right? Right. Yeah, from uh, I've been over the last 10, 11 months or so here trying to follow the keto diet on my my doctor. Had right. Suggested I give it a try, and you know, great results right out of the bat, right out right out of the gate. Sure. Uh, down thirty pounds in three months, and boom, this is great, and then. Congratulations. Well, I mean, I always say, if it works for you, do it. You know, I I, uh, I have met people who, who have managed to sustain keto or fasting or whatever it is, whatever the latest thing is. Yeah. And and there are success stories oh, sure. with all those kind of diets. Yeah. And so whatever works, I, I, I have found that this is, you know, the way I do it is what works for me. Well, and I think I'm kind of with you because I've learned that it's – I, I don't feel like I can sustain that long term or for any <clears throat> and is it is it because of what you're eating or is it because I mean like what about it is hard to sustain the the eating part yeah it's you know okay you know I can't have this I can't you know uh, I've notoriously you know and I, at this point I'm not going to change I, I don't do well at bringing lunch to work <clears throat> right excuse me so. I go out to get a get a bite to eat, and you know the fast food options, whatever it is, fast casual. Uh, sure. Trying to follow that 
is, is challenging. It's, uh, it can be done, but it's uh, certainly uh, not as easy, right? So, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and that's that's part of the hurdles that that we have to overcome is that there's so many yeah. sort of forces out there that are pushing us in the in the wrong direction. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, so I'm kind of changing the, my mindset to you know. Just try to keep it low, cut the carbs down, not necessarily, right. uh, you know, and yeah, so should, not calling it keto, but we'll, uh, we'll take some of what I've learned over the last uh, <laughs> eight or nine months and use that and uh, see how that goes. So just try to deal. The slow, steady. Uh, I, I do appreciate on the fast food, uh, I'm sure you've got it out there, Five Guys Burgers. Oh God! Yeah, they're they, incredible, and they do the bunless option, which I oh they do okay. Yeah, you can get it in a bowl, so it's you know I just ask for extra lettuce, and it's uh oh. so it's it's a nice uh good deal. Well, if, I'm glad carbs you found a, a, if carbs, I'm glad are, you found a workaround there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, get my five guys fix in. So, um, so the book, uh, the elephant in the room, one fat man's quest to get smaller in a growing America, uh. Available, folks, if you're interested in uh, this, uh, Amazon here in Canada, Chapters has it online. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, I don't know if this is available in Canada, but there's a great site called IndieBound. Okay. Where you can order through a, an independent bookstore. Okay. I always recommend uh, yeah, people do that. Um, but yeah, it's available. There's a hardback, a paperback, a audiobook, an ebook, however you like to consume books, it's mm-hmm. it's out there. Excellent. Yeah, I highly recommend that. Uh, how to, you know, the book, kind of the pro or the epilogue, uh, Thanksgiving 2017, I think was kind of the last update. How is, uh, yeah. how's it going for how, you now? How are things going? Well, I, I was, I kept losing weight after the book came out. Mm-hmm. It's probably down 120 pounds or something for a while. Yeah. Um, when COVID hit, I, I, like many people, mm-hmm. uh, backslid. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, um, I think everybody was in sort of a, a worldwide, uh, uh, mild depression of sorts, you know, and, and, uh, certainly I, my world got knocked sideways in many ways. Nobody in my family, immediate family had COVID, but it just felt like, you know, there's a, uh, uh, like lurking over our shoulders for two years. A cloud. Yeah, exactly. And so I certainly, um, part of the way that I, reacted to that was by eating more and eating worse and I gained, you know, 30 or 40 pounds back. And now I'm back on the downside again. I'm, 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 you know, the thing that I, there, there are two things about kind of the journey that I've had. One is that, um, now I, I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. So that, that the, t- the time span in the book that's covered in the book was really the first time in my life that I had, lost weight in any sustained way that I really done it and succeeded at it. So now I know that if I do have a, a bad day or a bad month or whatever, that I can pick things up and, and do it again. And, um, and that's something that actually has, has meant something to me in other parts of my life. You know, when I've had other setbacks in some way or another, some job thing is not working out like I want or, or whatever it is. I, I know now that I can, I can kind of start over mm. and, and refresh and get back on the horse, so to speak, yep. or whatever yep. cliche you want to use yep. and, and, and start stringing together successes again. Mm. So I, I do feel like I've learned something 
about myself in a larger sense um, by losing this weight and, and keeping it off uh, in terms of the ability to not let the setbacks get the best of me. I guess that's the way I'd put it. Because before, what I would do is I'd lose, I'd take one of these fad diets, I'd lose 15 or 20 pounds really quick, and then I'd fall off the wagon and I'd get really depressed about it or I get really down about it and I think well what's the point and then I would like binge and go up again yeah and now I'm smart enough I guess or savvy enough to know um it doesn't have to be that way yeah what one day one bad day doesn't have to lead to a a bad week a bad month exactly that's exactly right yeah actually I was chatting with a, a lady in my office here yesterday about that and I said if I can avoid going to Tim's in the morning, right? making, making better decisions about food that whole day are easier. Yeah. And it's a matter of sort of building the, the, uh, a chain. You know, I think I talk about in the book, this idea of the Seinfeld chain that Jerry mm-hmm. Seinfeld started mm-hmm. when he was saying he was going to write every day, you know, write jokes. Mm-hmm. And he just made a little chart and put box the uh, X out of box every day. He did it. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the goal isn't to not break the chain anymore. Right. And if you can build that sort of sustained success on something, then it becomes its own, it builds its own momentum, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And right, it all starts with that first step. Like when you're when you're groggy in the morning and you're hungry mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, and Tim's is right out there, yeah. and you don't go there, in a way, you've kind of won the day already. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. if you can if you can sustain that, yeah, then that you know leads to bigger things. Yeah. Whereas if I do go to Tim's. Then you then, feel like, well, well the, the day's, day's a waste screwed. already. I might as well right, go right. have a hit up Wendy's for a Baconator for <laughs> That's lunch. Exactly right? right. And you've got, <laughs> you, you've, you've put your finger on the mindset yeah. of mm. so many people and, and not just in food. Yeah. So many people who deal with alcohol or gambling or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, those impulses, those, those, um, the, the sort of devil pulling you down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all those things are the same yeah. across various types of addictions or obsessions or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that's been interesting about the reaction to this book is that I've heard from a lot of people who don't struggle with their weight, but who struggle with something else. Mm-hmm. And they found something in the book that helped them as well. Oh, wonderful. Uh, the, just about the book before we uh, move on, uh, the chapter towards the end, the man inside me or the man inside you that, uh, I re-listened to it last night just to kind of get ready for this. And uh, um, how, how's the man inside you doing? Um, you know, he's he's a lot better than he was. I mean, you know, there's this uh, part of the part of what I wrote about in that chapter, that sort of dual nature of the person you want to be versus the person you are, and the person you you think you can be at your best versus the person you are. I think certainly since I've gone on this journey that the, the person inside me, you know, um, and, and the other part of that is you worry, or I worried maybe irrationally that if I started losing weight, if I went on this journey, that there was something essential about me that I would also lose. Mm-hmm. Whether it was something like, you know, people wouldn't think I was as funny or people wouldn't think I was as charming once I wasn't the, mm-hmm. the fat guy anymore or whatever it was. I, I, since I had never been anything but that Mm -hmm. I was worried that I was going to lose some essence of myself that other people liked. Yeah. 
And I have not found that to be the case. I don't think so. Anyway, I guess we'd have to pull my friends to figure that out. I've still got the same friends and yep. still got the same wife and all that sort of thing. So, so, must be so, okay. so far, <laughs> so far things are going well. Yep. But yeah, I think there is that worry that if you change, you're going to, you're going to alter yourself in some way that, that makes things worse as well mm-hmm. as better. Yeah. And I think that is one, a pretty irrational fear. And two, I think it's also an excuse not to change. And so um, the thing for me is just in terms of health and well-being and living a, a reasonable life, I had to make these changes. Mm-hmm. And so whatever happened on the other side, I had to do this anyway. And so I had to sort of figure out how to live with it. And the truth is that I, I feel like I am basically the same person. Mm-hmm. I'm just in a, in a different body than I was yeah. in. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so what keeps you busy these days? Uh, you mentioned a new project. I saw something on the, on your website about a, a book about the Westminster dog show. I am. I'm yep. working on a book. It's a, it's a very big left turn from the <laughs> memoir. I'm wor- working on a book um, that's sort of filtered through the Westminster dog show, but it's also about just sort of the connection between dogs and people mm-hmm. and how that came to be and, and what both dogs and people get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I've been spending the last couple of years going to, Dog shows meet a lot of people who train dogs and, and work with them and that sort of thing. And, and also people who study them, study their behavior. And um, I hope it's a kind of a fun and entertaining book, but I hope people also come away with, with an idea of this incredible connection that dogs and people have, have built over the years and kind of what that means for us. You know, dogs used to have, excuse me, Dogs used to have lots of different jobs. You know, they mm-hmm. pulled sleds or they, you know, fought bulls, literally bulldogs, yeah. Yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And now, by and large, most dogs are companions for people. Mm-hmm. And that changed their world in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so um, I think there's some really fascinating things about what makes people tick and what makes dogs tick and how all that gets filtered through these big dog shows and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So that's what I've been doing and hope to finish that up. Uh, very soon and hope uh, maybe it comes out next year sometime. Wonderful. I'll uh, look forward to that for sure. And Yeah, and also just one other thing real quick. Yeah. I also have a sub stack for people who care about that and I write about right there a couple times a week. Usually I have one uh, sub stack that sort of links to some of my favorite things mm-hmm. of the week and then just other stuff that interests me. So that's, um, if you look up my name in sub stack, you can find it pretty easy. All right, Substack. I'll keep uh, make a note of that. Uh, your website, TommyTomlinson.com. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, you can find all my stuff there. Um, I have a pod, my podcast, as you mentioned, is Southbound, Southbound, yeah. which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever people get podcasts. You can find it there. Right. Any other social media? I see you're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Tommy L. Tomlinson, I believe. Okay. Um, I spend probably more social media time on Twitter than anywhere okay. else uh, at Tommy Tomlinson. Although now with Twitter changing so much, who knows? It's gotten a little weird all of a sudden. It's it? gotten a little weird. <laughs> I, I do, do have an account or two on Facebook, but I, to be honest, I haven't looked at my Facebook in months. Who knows what's going on over there? Right on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm out there and pretty easy to find. Excellent. Well, Tommy, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate the, uh, the chat this morning uh taking a little time out of your day for me i do uh i do appreciate it and uh, 
Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's yeah. my pleasure, Ryan. Stay stay warm over there. I uh, will try. Uh, qu- last question I ask everybody. I don't know if you do much sure. grilling or barbecuing at home, but uh, uh, when you do fire up the grill or whatever, what's uh, what's kind of the go to for you? Well, I to be honest, I have uh, I'm looking right out the at my back window at the my grill, which is sadly unused most of the time. But I do have a charcoal grill, mm-hmm. and um, I, I have to say I'm mostly a burger guy yep. on the grill. Maybe some grilled chicken or something like that. I don't have the the setup to do real barbecue, so I rely yep. on the yeah. I rely on my friends for that. But yep. uh, that's uh, in terms of something on a grill. That's my favorite thing. There's nothing better than than a good pork shoulder. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Pork steak or, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tommy, thanks so much again. Appreciate it. TommyTomlinson.com, folks. uh, And uh, the elephant in the room, wonderful read or uh, listen as I did. So check it out. And uh, also uh, Southbound, if you're in the podcast thing, as you obviously are if you're listening to this. So thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it, sir. Have a wonderful day. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. You are listening to Canada's longest-running barbecue podcast, and it is time now for some barbecue news, brought to you by the Barrel Boss Q, a family-owned and operated small business in Leduc County, Alberta, and the manufacturer of the original Canadian drum smoker. Whether it's in the backyard or on the competition circuit, Kelly Troy and the Barrel Boss Q team are driven by the desire to watch their clients showcase their cooking talents, to slow down a bit and spend some quality time with family and friends. From entry level all the way to fully loaded models, Barrel Boss Q has the charcoal drum smokers and accessories you need to be the barbecue boss of your block or maybe get a walk at the next competition. Shipping to customers across Canada and the U.S., Barrel Boss Q spends time talking to their clients to make sure each and every smoker they make is special and meets the needs of the customer. Barrel Boss Q is honored to be a part of their customers' barbecue journeys. Visit them online at barrelbossq.ca. That's Barrel, B-O-S-S, the letter Q, and follow them on Facebook and Instagram and tell them you heard about them on the Eat More Barbecue podcast. I'm going to keep it short this week, folks. I am still recovering from a great few days in Regina with friends and family this past weekend for the Great Cup, which explains my voice this week. We had a blast with the exception of my Blue Bombers losing in a nail-biter on Sunday. Saskatchewan Barbecue was well represented at the festival site with both Prairie Smoke and Spice and Hillside Smoke and Q on site vending. I was able to get in a visit with both Rob and Shane over the weekend, which was great. For those outside of Canada who might not be familiar with the Grey Cup, it is the Canadian Football League Championship game. And every year there's a great festival leading up to the game that brings folks from across the country together, regardless of the team you cheer for to celebrate. It is a very special time, and this year I was also able to see some old friends that I had not seen in over 20 years. Very cool and a good time. As this episode is being published great friends in the United States are celebrating their Thanksgiving weekend, so I want to take a moment here to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you're enjoying the holiday safely and in the company of your loved ones. Gobble, gobble. I'm always looking for guest ideas for the show, so email me at eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com if there's someone you'd like to hear from. You can find me online at eatmorebarbecue.ca and also at www.albertabbqtrail.ca, where you can check out the listing of barbecue joints here in Alberta then get on out there and show them your support. If you're not in Alberta, get out to your local barbecue joints and show them some love. Thank you to Alan Horbin for the great music on this and every episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast. That's a wrap, everybody. See you all next week and keep on smoking.